Adios, amigo. Listen, stranger. Did you get the idea? We don't like to see bad boys like you in town. Go get your mule. <laughs> you let him get away from you? <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I want to talk to you about. He's feeling real bad. Huh? My mule. You see, he got all riled up when you went and fired those shots at his feet. <laughs> hey, you making some kind of joke? Mm, no. You see, I understand you men were just playing around, but the mule, he just doesn't get it. Of course, if you were to all apologize... <laughs> I don't think it's nice you laughing. You see, my mule don't like people laughing. It's the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize like I know you're going to, I might convince him that you really didn't mean it. of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca and as always joined by my fellow co-hosts with no name, who actually do have names, Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. Also, this latest series also features our fantastic returning guest host, movie music expert Charlie Brigden. How are you all? Good evening, folks. Hi. I'm fine, I'm just chewing up my horse who's a bit down. Some Has someone insulted before. him again? Yeah. Someone been shooting at his feet again? Yeah, he just didn't take to it well. You know, what can you do? Well, we all, I, don't well, know. I, I hope he gets a I hope, I hope he gets a written apology, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a personal and a public apology. Yeah. What's his eyesight like? Because I don't know what glasses would look like on a horse. <laughs> this has gone in a strange direction already. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I don't I don't have a joke at hand for that. <laughs> <laughs> what? It didn't occur to you that someone would ask about spectacles on a horse? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. That doesn't sum up our attitude to this latest stretch spectrum review series. I don't know what does. Well, yeah. This is um we've been promising this for maybe six years because we did a Gosh. nearly a year of bond and towards the end of that we started talking about things. And Becca said out of nowhere, <laughs> why don't we do all the westerns? All of them, every single one. Um which would be quite a big task, I reckon. Um, but when I looked into quite it... Quite tiresome as well. well yeah, but, quite tiring. But when I looked into it, it turned out there were only about four or five, so we're all right. There's a few sort of classic ones that, you know, we could really narrow down to the ones that actually mattered, um, or, or the ones that we thought would be well, worth, we got, you know, we worth got, our time. We got sort of back and forth in conversation over it, and we did briefly talk about doing uh, a Sergio Leone season just Le- all of Leone uh, which isn't that, that that's not that many films when you look he, did, he didn't do that much um, but I think 
Chris had a, a very negative experience not that long ago with Once Upon a Time in America. It's a film I don't like as much as I wish I liked. And so we decided to sort of stick with um, his westerns. That brings into play one I haven't seen, because you've obviously got the Dollars trilogy, and we'll go into that in a minute. And then you've got Once Upon a Time in the West, which is one of my favourite films, full stop. Uh, but he also did A Fistful of Dynamite, which we'll, we'll get to, but I've never seen that. So we've added that to the series. But uh, with Charlie coming on board, Charlie's got a couple of sort of suggestions we, we might get to as well. So they, this may pad out to a few more. But I think we'll probably get this one in the can and then chat about that offline. So there will be more to be added to this. Yeah, we'll mention them as we go along. But I don't, I still don't think it'll be a, a very long series. I think it, it, Charlie might add like two or three or something. So you know, it might go from five to like six to eight. Um, but we'll we'll work that out and probably have a bit more on it next week. No, um, I mean we we tend to sort of follow like a sort of long series with a shorter series. Or so I mean, you know, Bourne had a few films and. Um, obviously, we'll, you know, we'll do these probably sort of five, six, seven, eight films, yeah. um, and then after that, I think we'll be moving on to talking, I guess. Um, I mean, they're well, those, really long. Those films, <laughs> those films are quite short. We'll we'll, we'll yeah, pad we'll them out by chatting about tennis or yeah, something. Half we'll, uh, an hour will be fine. It'll be over very quickly. Um, I, I mean, to do those properly would take an immense amount of work because obviously you've got. I mean, if you remember the DVD releases, they had hours and hours of appendices. Uh, they had, I think, the DVD, the Blu-ray versions, or was it the DVD versions, had something like three or four different commentaries on them. And, and even then, the of future course, discs, didn't they? Yeah, and then you, yeah, they came in four disc sets, and I think there were two discs of appendices or something like that. Um, and there were obviously your two cuts of the film as well, each film. So to do it, to do it really. Oh, and then of course you could be talking about reading the books as well, so you know where the differences are and so on. To do that properly would probably take um, a hell of a lot of effort. But I'd be a podcast in itself, and it's own would, really, wouldn't it? I think we'll still put a fair time to it. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching both cuts of the films, and I, and I will like read what I can. Um, and I have got a, I've got a, an audio book. It's uh, written by someone. Was it Ian Nathan, the guy who was at Empire? Yes. He yeah, wrote. He, he wrote a book without looking it's called something like uh, everything you can imagine and uh, the audiobook version is about 22 hours and it's and it's all about the conception and making of the peter jackson uh, lord of the rings trilogy so i will be covering that as we go to it um with regard to tonight charlie you've sort of joined us for this and you are joining us for tolkien but leaving tolkien on the back burner what, what's your sort of background with this genre of film and this filmmaker um i just always kind of really loved them really um <clears throat> watching westerns as a kid um they used to kind of um show a lot of them on uh bbc2 and channel 4 and stuff uh when i was a kid um and also in uh in, in school, I, we did bits on uh, on American history, um, and particularly this pit, the the West, the Old West, as it, as it were. Um, so it's kind of from there. Um, you know what it's like in school classes; they uh, they show you films um, instead of teaching half the time, um, so you kind of get on with that. Um, and also. Um, the uh, the TV show Movie Drone 
um, which used to run on BBC Two. Um, Alex Cox. Yeah, Alex Cox, and then later Mark Cousins. And because I mean, because a lot of these films were never properly released here, um, so the only time kind of you might get to see them was on in places like that. I'm um, I, I, uh, I'm trying to remember what I used to watch through Movie Drone. I'm actually looking now to see if I can find because certainly before when we've talked about it, um, well, yeah, I, they... I, I used to I saw the list of um, films they showed. So for example, they did show their very first episode was The Wicker Man. Yeah, they, it ran, they it, did. Sorry, but... no, I, I just say it ran for about five seasons. So you yeah. can go you can go into the list and see everything they've covered. Yeah, because they, they were the ones to show the Terminator for the first time. That's right. And Escape from New York and the American Wealth in London. I definitely um, saw the last picture show on there. Yeah, a lot oh. of really real cult films. Yeah, Barbarella, the parallax of Johnny Guitar. That's a, that's a, um, a film I've reviewed very recently. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that got a recent um, re-release, didn't it? It did, and I, I did the sort of Blu-ray release of that. Uh, struggling to remember much about it now, actually. I th- I think that's what, at the tape. Go and check it out, listeners. Yeah, it's, it's on there. I, I, I definitely gave it a decent review, as I recall. The Fly, the 1958 Fly, I watched that on there. The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. So, yeah, there's yeah, a good... That's a great series, but they, uh, should, they need to bring that back, don't they, I think? Um, I think there's, there's room for, like, that, that sort of short film education sort of format but without overwhelming or over intellectualizing it. it it's only i mean how long did he talk at the start of the films charlie five minutes seven five minutes. minutes it's not long but it gave you he was just context. a master at giving you quite a lot very quickly yeah it gives you context which is something that, that is very lacking today well i think that would come on to my next question really um what how best to word this what is the context for these series of films in terms of you had a certain type of western develop and then suddenly these sort of dubbed Italian things turned up so what what can we tell people about about the spaghetti western well really it was kind of filmmakers like the only looking at the uh, the American westerns and, and kind of wanting wanting to do their own kind of take on it, um, but all of them doing kind of low budget. Um, I mean, they're called spaghetti westerns. But a lot of them were, were filmed in Spain, but uh, they're kind of co-productions. Um, but I mean, I mean, Leone's films really, um, his style comes out of both American and Japanese cinema with John Ford's films. And then um, Akira Kurosawa's as well. Uh, well, yeah, and uh, obviously the probably the most commonly known fact about Kurosawa is obviously the Seven Samurai, and was was obviously remade as a western, mm. more more or less. Well, this film was a remake of Yojimbo, isn't it? Yojimbo. Yeah. Yo, Jimbo. Yo, Jimbo. <laughs> Jimbo Jones. Um, even to the point where, like Ninja Turtles, the rabbit character is called Usagi or Jimbo. Which is basically a Japanese film, Rabbit. I have seen Yojimbo. Fun fact. Yeah, I have seen Yojimbo. 
Um, I think that was why that was also like Clint Eastwood's impetus for making this film as well. Um, I, he was a big fan of that film. I don't know because if you look at the most recent Tarantino film, I think Leo's character in that is something of an allegory for Clint Eastwood, because Clint Eastwood was in a TV show for years, and sort of by the time he went to make this, you got memories in his nineties now, well into his nineties. He must have been, I don't know how he's old a, he was here. Was he's he in a his, long career, hasn't he? I think he was certainly in his late thirties by this point. And I think the common thinking of the time that is his chance to be sort of a leading man had possibly slipped by, and he was mainly TV anyway. So I think, much like the Leo character in that film, it's just like go over, shoot a load of, you know, shoot some stuff over there. Uh, worst case scenario, you make some money. Best case scenario, you find a new audience. Wasn't it? Cause it was. He was making. Was it Rawhide? He was making. Yeah. And there was some. There was something in his contract, or he was making something at the time. Uh, listeners, if you're wrong, correct us. If you know about this fun fact, let us know. Yeah, he was. He was making Rawhide or something at the time. Um, and there was. A, a clause in his contract said he basically couldn't do anything else um, but that didn't include anything about making films in Europe so that's why he went and spent a few weeks in Spain and, and made these films yeah so um, well, that, that may or may not be true I don't know I just I, read that I've, in an interview of Eastwood but. I've, I've read something like that although I'd largely forgotten the details there was like a bit of a get out that let him go and do this um, Leone himself had made very little at this point um, he was in his mid-thirties himself. Um, and, yeah, his, his filmography was short. He'd done a he'd done a film a, few, a couple of years before called The Colossus of Rhodes. That's like a sword and sandal film. And then he sort of did these, and then Fistful of Dynamite, Duck Your Sucker, Duck Your Sucker, whichever one you, you know it as, and then Once Upon a Time in America. And that was largely the, the, the extent of it. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure how everyone was put together to make this. But, um, yeah, you've still got a relatively young filmmaker at this point. Mm. Um, how old would... What was Morricone at this point, um, Charlie? Was was Morricone well-known by this point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause at this point as well, he'd been doing a lot of kind of Italian... Um, a lot of, he was doing political films. Um, and he was doing stuff with people like Mario Bava... Um, and uh, things like that and then he started doing just shortly after his all the, the, the Giallo films as well yeah which is not a which is not an area of film I know that well but I, I know yeah. you I know you do yeah um, had he done much in the sort of western genre at this point a couple of films um, but not a huge amount yeah um, it was just as the uh, just as the genre was starting up really yeah, and is this? I mean, I'm aware of some of the uh, some of the other filmmakers, Corbucci, Parolini, and like I said, I think it was off air. Um, I, I also reviewed the Sabata trilogy recently, which was mm. a bit little later in the '60s. Uh, trilogy is uh, a little bit generous. Um, it's accurate. There are three films, but the first film is Lee Van Cleef. And the second film, very a la sort of the Die Hard scripts, was retooled from something not intended to be a Sabata film and actually starred Yul Brynner. And it feels totally different. It's nothing like the same character, this slightly sort of gentleman figure. Um, and of course, by the time of the third film, it's back to Van Cleef again. 
but I very much enjoyed those. So Sergio Leone's not really the only game in town, is he, with this this sort of genre? No, and and, and arguably Sergio Kubaki, who apparently or Kubuchi, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you just guess um, it when it's written down, don't you? I think it's Corbucci, but I wouldn't argue too hard yeah. about it. Um, is, is another one who, and, and one of the films he did, um, a film called The Great Silence, um, is arguably the best, for me, the best gay western. Okay, well, yeah, that is, Charlie had mentioned that film to us, but I couldn't remember its name when I was doing all the early stuff. So yeah, the, the Great Silence is is going on the list. We will be yeah, we'll add it, we'll it to the lineup. Um, uh, looking at the timing of the film, it will probably go after the Dollars Trilogy, but before Once Upon a Time in the West. So we're we're somewhat in an or, order. Um, I've not seen that film, but I have heard of Kabut Corbucci. Uh, again, referencing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there was a fictional film made by Corbucci that had Leo's character in it with Telly Savalas. Mm. And as yeah. Bond fans, we all went, "Well, that's not that's not right." He was shooting on Emergency Secret yeah, Service at that time. time. Hold on a minute. <laughs> he wasn't available. And the posters, they did false sort of fake posters for these films, and they were really good. And the, the one mm. of him and um, Savalas, they're kind of back to back and sort of giggling their asses off it's kind of it looks cool. really convincing doesn't it it's it like i'd like to see really that film good. it looks well, really good i mean i mean even back to tarantino the uh Corbucci also um directed the original django film that was a little mm. later wasn't it or that was, was it that was 1966 oh was... do you know what i'm thinking of idiot i'm thinking of the original inglorious bastards which was 78 Sorry, you're right. As soon as I said that, I thought, oh no, Charlie's going to tell me it's 66. I've written that. I've seen that written down before. <laughs> Bollocks. Correction. Yeah. All right, then. So, Chris, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm feeling very old. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, Chris Chris had his spell as Batman a few years ago. He's now hit the big 4-0, so we've decided yeah. he's, he's now Alfred. Alfred, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, yeah, he said that, to be fair. Yeah, raising my own Batman or Batgirl now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. But that's also, the, Batgirl, the, okay? the Batgirl film's been scrapped, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, she um, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that money I, spent. I I wonder whether we'll probably see that anyway at some point. It just I don't know. Well, I think it will be like another sort of release, the Snyder Cut, not with the same um, fan enthusiasm. But I think what oh, they've got a new guy in at the moment, and he and he wants to make his mark, so he's completely changed their strategy. After read tonight, Michael B. Jordan's <laughs> Superman film is dead as well. Um, I think um, I think the, the, the thing is though is that a lot is riding on like the this this Flash movie, which is very like because I think they, they spent a lot more money on this, yeah, on the Flash movie. But a lot is riding on that of, of whether in terms of direction of the universe is going to go. So that's probably why those that 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 Batgirl movie has been scrapped because it's like we don't quite know what we're doing it, and especially with um, uh, what's his name? Uh, no. Oh, uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. yeah. There's like, uh, what the fuck? Well, it's we a do? scandal a day. So it's like, do we just completely just reshoot the whole fucking thing? I mean, it's, a, recast, it's, a, it's a scandal a day, isn't it? Almost or, every three yeah, or four yeah, days you're reading something. Like a lot is like riding on that like what do we do with this film going forward do we do we recap like, I, like it's all speculation right now 
But yeah, I, and people I, I are misunderstanding it. speculation. Well, like, apparently, so. it was a tax write-off. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't think it was made I, as a tax write-off. Though. No, oh, no, no. But this guy, this guy, I think, I think because they've not um, publicised it, not like spent any money on like trying to on a merch site yet. I think that I heard something, something about that, which means that the, it, it, it made makes it more a lot more officially tax write-off. I don't know, but because um, yeah, it's a loss, you you set it off against your profits. But. Um, I mean, in American law, I mean, Trump's been doing that for years. He hasn't paid any income tax for years because he's still offsetting it against, you know, unusually large losses years ago. Um, so I, I would think think it's that. The, the one thing that has caused speculation about where the DC universe is going is, I think, a slight misreading of the situation. Uh, because I think people are reading it that Keaton has now gone out of vogue again to play Batman. And what they're basing that on is they've done some reshoots on the second Aquaman film with Ben Affleck and my understanding is it's because the Flash has been moved back and he was going to meet Keaton's Batman and you can't do that because he's introduced in the Flash mm. so they've they've gone right well everyone knows Batfleck so we'll get him back to do that so there's a lot of like misinformation out there at the moment and and I think some of it is we don't know but yeah I did read tonight Michael G B Jordan was had been working on uh an alternate sort of yeah. Superman uh, Calvin Ellis I think that version of, of Superman is called uh black in the comics uh totally sort of a canon version of the character and I've read tonight that's been that's not being worked on anymore yeah, I, I mean, I kind of think it's probably for the best right now because I look at DC and I think, where the fuck are you going? Like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Are you, are you sticking to the universe or are you going to do all, like, individual films? Like, mm. pick one. Like, make a decision. Like, don't, like, sort of dip in and out. And I think that's what they need to do. They need to sort of uh, make a decision, like, right, are we going to kind of, like, go back and fix it and do, like, the, the proper universe and do a decent job of it? Or are we just gonna just focus on making like decent movies and just don't worry about shared universe? Yeah, you know I, mean? I think the guy's plan is apparently to do Marvel. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if that is if that's it, but uh, they're better off uh, making that decision right now. And, and if they're gonna do that, they need to sort of get there. They need to be consistent with one another. They need to be like. Right. Where does that leave Pattinson though? Well, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> and Keaton was in Batgirl as well. He was. That, that was that was that was um, my point because well, it wasn't quite my point, but it was linked to it. My point was people thought Keaton was out of vogue because Batfleck was back in for Aquaman, but that's because the order of the films has been reversed. Mm. But the second piece of evidence they're using to back that up is well, they've scrapped Batgirl, which he was in. Um. I, I, I don't know what the film would have been like. Apparently, it didn't test great, but it didn't test any worse than like the Shazam sequel. So I, I do I do tend to think it's it's a bit of a kick in the face to everyone who's worked on it. Yeah, absolutely, it's it's disgraceful. Um, and especially as they were they were people of color who not only was producing it and directing it but starred in it as well. Yeah, and uh, that could have been a massive break. And I think the, the the mistake you make as an executive is just thinking of the template of what you think a superhero film's f- for. So to give you an example, 
I did not like Miss Marvel. As a television series, I did not like it at all. But I fully recognise it's not really aimed at me. You know what I mean? And, and I know that there were there were large swathes of, of people out there, particularly young girls, who really did like bond with that piece of work. Mm. So yeah, um, not a great look for them, but um, yeah, there we go. I mean, it, I mean, it does depend. Like, because what made me sceptical about it as well, like back to the original point, was like how many people actually was aware of it before it actually got cancelled because when it moment got cancelled that's when it kind of got trended so it's it's like made me think hmm maybe this is like a bit of a like oh well, well this is we'll, we'll get a bit of, get a bit of traction we'll release it on um hbo max or whatever if they're doing it as a tax or they're not allowed to well i mean that, that may be i don't know but again, that would logically make sense because that's if, what if, you, if you're offsetting yeah. the loss you take on this against other profits or whatever, so you pay less tax effectively, you can't then go and start making money on it. But I, I don't know what is possible in terms of what. I mean, I don't know. I don't but, know either, to be honest. But um, there, there you go. They could sit around and say, "Oh, that's fine. We'll, we'll we'll pay the tax or whatever it is." And then I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm sure. If they want to, they'll find a way. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure they will. What confuses me is is test test audiences scores don't mean everything, but they are one of the one if not the main metric they use when they're sort of developing films. And we were told it was broadly testing the same as the Shazam sequel, which is going ahead, and they're ready to sort of yeah. talk, talk that film but I, I think with that one A, a is a, it's a sequel yeah. um, and B it's probably not interfering with the grand scheme like with what's, go, what, what's going forward in terms, in terms of like if it, go, if, if it comes out and it bombs it doesn't really affect too much of what's going forward do you know what I mean yeah I it's suppose like not it, it's, like, it's like back to relate to the Flash movie like Batgirl is pretty is, is a film that's tied to the Flash the Flash is very much a big question mark at the moment in terms of like what's what's going to happen in that movie. I don't even know how you market yeah, exactly. it at the moment. Yeah, uh, exactly. We do. We do. It's going to going to reshoot some of our It's always had like reshoots as well, but uh, it's reshooting at the moment. He's been reshooting yeah. during his problems because well, apparently they retooled in the third act of the film. Yeah. So you know, a lot of it is riding on that. So I think the reason why we can compare it to the Shazam sequel is well. It's it's a bit of like oh well it's it, it's less risky or oh, it's not going to make any sense so, do you know what I mean so if they if they change the the Flash movie then Batgirl as a next film won't make any sense because it's too tied to it but um, whereas Sham is already like a second movie of and it doesn't really interfere with too much so that'll be my theory on on why mm. um, but but yeah there was various things being done for television as well that are all being sort of canned he's literally just completely rewritten their playbook within days yeah so yeah well we'll, we'll see I mean it, it, it could turn out to be a positive thing for Warner Brothers and DC could be or it could just be like another another big mess on top of another big mess so to speak um, we'll, I guess like, we'll see I mean, the thing is, they said, oh, we want to do Marvel. And it's like, well, you tried that with Green Lantern a few years ago. You're, you're sort of irreverent fucking playboy character to start the thing off. Uh, mm. That didn't work. 
and then you thought, no, we want an auteur, and you went to Zack Snyder. Um, and and funnily enough, the the Snyder cut isn't it's it's ridiculously too long, ridiculously so, but it actually has a bit more merit than I was expecting. But the fact is, mm. he he didn't suit that role. He didn't. No, I mean I've, I've I've heard what potentially would have been his like the second Justice League movie, which would have followed on for that, and it was just like absolutely ridiculous. Like, I, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing it, but it would have been absolutely like full-blown Schneider kind of like that's not in the comics that kind of shit <laughs> that kind of shit you know yeah well once, um, once you kill off Jimmy Olsen for a laugh I do do sort of yeah, like they didn't even do a, a, a separate Batman film they did Batman and Superman straight away yeah but and ev- I, I, everyone I, I knew that was a mistake you, you needed like another Superman film anyway you need like Superman needed his own film before you went Justice League I felt because well, Superman needed to learn how just, to be Superman first yeah, I, I felt you could have you could have done with that, um, but um, yeah, which is which is which is crazy. You think like you know, Henry Cavill has it has only had one Superman movie, and that was when in two thousand three. So if they yeah. if they greenlit one now, if they greenlit one now, the best you'd get is them filming next summer, which means it would come out in twenty twenty four, and we'd be looking at eleven years. Yeah, uh, and for sort of. But as Bond fans, we used to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mind you, 13 years for Avatar, to be fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's not the way you build a universe, is it? Like, well, we'll give you a sequel when you're in your 40s. <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, well. So, um, a very different series of films here tonight. So we've got the Dollars trilogy. So, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Um, star of he, Back to the Future Part CGI, 3 uh, moustache removed. Sorry? He, he's someone who's never had a moustache, moustache removed by CGI No, he hasn't actually um, I, I'm a bit surprised I thought, you know, there would be some early CG on this Or like some paper put over his mouth <laughs> um, So this is sort of uh, Clint Eastwood's star making turn Now, referred to as the man of no, with no name But he is credited with a name in every film He's Joe in this film, and he's actually called it on screen towards the end of the film. So, is this meant to be the same man in all three films, or do we just not know or care? Uh, I think it is, in a manner of speaking, because especially in uh, Good and Bad Locally, he he kind of like assembles the rest of his uni- uh, his his outfit uh, for the series going forward. So, it, uh, Good and Bad Locally is basically like a, a prequel to the other two. Um, okay. But uh, so I think in, yes, in a manner of speaking. But the the thing with like Clint Eastwood um, and out out of the west of in terms of his westerns, um, he, I've, I have noticed that he's a bit more of he's not really sort of a character. He's a bit more of like a, what do you call it? He's like an archetype. Yeah. So like for example, like compare that. Like say there's he's done two films. Um, after these, which uh, uh, which is uh, what was it? Uh, well, uh, in this series, for a few dollars more. No, no, no. Um, High Plains. Uh, High Plains Drifter. High Plains Drifter. And, and Pale, Pale Rider. Rider. Pale Rider, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Pale Rider. No, funny enough, Pale Rider is it's not it's a western made in the eighties, which is which is extremely rare. But um, both those films are kind of similar. He kind of plays like almost like a ghost. 
Right. Um, and it's it's a bit more ambiguous about who he is. Uh, I think Pale Rider's a bit more like leans towards yeah he's like a a ghost type sort of figure who comes in, but it's really about like the town or the the group of people within that. He's he's almost like a, a judgmental figure. It comes in. So it's an inspector calls, but with gunplay. You know, an inspector calls where they're like a policeman comes around to investigate a crime, and it turns out to be like a figment of their imagination at the end. Well, it's called inspector calls, isn't it? And, and it was all and it was all about it's, them looking internally. It's like he's a bit more like yeah, he's, I, I would say he's a bit more like um, his characters aren't really like a a fully structured person who you typically would say yes that that is a character he's more of like uh a, a concept like, comes yeah in. A, yeah a concept hence the man with no name is it's a lot more like he he he, he, he comes in and and like and and dispenses justice in in what is fitting for the characters in the town isn't that why you have the high shot right at the end because like, he's, he's obviously come in he's you know pit these two groups against each other basically sort of them all out cast a judgment upon them and then perhaps yeah, Possibly. that's it. And then he goes I mean, on his way. I mean, I mean, oh, Ch- me, Charlie might might know a bit more about it than me, anyway. But um, but in, in terms of High Plains Drifter and, and Pearl Rider and that, those are those are Eastwood directed movies. So I think he's he likes that idea more than maybe uh, Sergio Leone. But so I'm glad you mentioned these two films. I kind of got I kind of agree there. That's the sort of impression that I get. That's the kind of yeah. archetype, sort of typical character that he was he, he would come to embody in, in this era of his career. Yeah, because his character isn't your typical like white hat. He doesn't just show up and go like, "Oh, I'm gonna go in and I, I I've seen a wrong." I mean, he he, he does do, but in, in the way way he enters in it, he's a bit more like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna fuck around. I'm gonna fuck shit up." <laughs> it's a little bit more like mischievous in a way, um, and w- which kind of makes me lean. He's a bit more like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm here to teach everyone a lesson," almost. Well, certainly when I watch the Sabata films, which is obviously the same sort of subgenre, if you like, it, it was the same basic principle. He was a bit more of a sort of gentleman in his bearing, but he would go into towns and right wrongs, but not necessarily for the right reasons. He was all in it for himself. I'll do this mm. and you give me $5,000, but he'd end up doing all the right things, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's kind of an anti-hero um, because of it as well. But at the time... Um, there was still a code uh, in America, the Hayes Code, um, and the West. So the West, American Westerns, um, couldn't be like these films. So the kind of the spaghetti westerns were able to prevent uh, present these new ideas, um, where there weren't just like white hats and black hats, as it was with the sheriff and the uh, and then the, the Rustlers or what, or the murderers or whatever, um, they couldn't have that. And because so with the uh, with the, uh, the these films, and then you had I think it was 1968 when the days kind of went, and you have what's called the revisionist western. So things like the Wild Bunch and and films like that, um, where everything got a lot more kind of violent and was a bit more. Um, ambiguous about the western and western characters as they as they were well yeah i mean i think if if, if you watched a sort of more traditional western as a kid it's good guys and bad guys and there's a sheriff in town keeping order well 
the whole method of how they, I mean, they, there were no formal law enforcement agencies, were there? They were still expanding west, and you know, there, there was nothing. I mean, the sheriff was just who they gave it to. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it would vary enormously from town to town what they'd be willing to tolerate. I would have thought. Absolutely, and and then kind of is you had the uh, the Native Americans as well, and the whole kind of there's the whole kind of thing as brownface where you had white actors as uh, Native Americans, uh, which which was going there. Um, I was saying early role for Fisher Stevens there. Eh? <laughs> 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 and what was it in Lawrence of Arabia? That's an easy reference. Oh my god! Alec Guinness in uh, Lawrence of Arabia as well. Yeah. No. I, think, I think I think nothing beats John Wayne as um, Genghis Khan. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like the ultimate cringe. Well, yeah, I, no, I think probably the ultimate cringe is, isn't yeah, it? It's like, I, I'm seeing Clive Warren. Oh yeah, Rex <laughs> Tiffany's. That's terrible. Oh my that's, god. That, that's the ultimate cringe. That is, that is the ultimate cringe, actually. Yeah, that's. Yeah, just sort of look away now. I think. <laughs> they, they portray that in um, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which is far from an accurate film. But like one of his oh. first dates with his like future wife, they go see breakfast as t- Tiffany's, and he's just so appalled by that. They like she just sees his face and says, "We can leave." Yeah, we can leave now. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So, uh, a fistful of dollars itself. I saw it. I didn't see it till about. I'd seen bits of it, like bits of it are in other films. I mean, we're talking about Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part 2. Biff, Biff is in the hot tub in alternate 1985 with a couple of women watching it. Mm. Um, they've changed all the music. Classic you... Eastwood, Bulletproof Fest. Bulletproof Fest, yeah. Um, although they seem to have changed some of the music on it, even though that wasn't a particularly musical part of the film. But anyway, there was some um, different sound, sound on it, but the, the, the very end of the film was on there. Uh, so I, I'd heard the bit about the mule at the start, you know, you've insulted my horse or mule or whatever it is he says. I'd seen the whole bulletproof vest thing, although I'd forgotten it by the time I watched it. I wasn't cued in until I saw Ramon's face as he was shooting him, because I then remembered it from Back to the Future Part 2. And I got the, the box set, like a DVD, quite cheap at about 2002, it was like a tenner for the three films or something. They weren't at all restored. I certainly know they were all restored two or three years later and their alternate edits are good to the bad and the ugly, which we can talk about in another week. And I sat down and I liked them just fine. I found A Fistful of Dollars quite a simple, straightforward film. And I'll more on that in a second. My memory at the time, and I don't think it's—I don't think anyone would say it was the best of the three, but my favourite of the three when I first watched them was the second one for a few dollars more. I really, really enjoyed that him and sort of Lee Van Cleef and stuff, and we'll see how I feel about that next week. Watching it this evening, there's more going on than I remember. You actually read a plot synopsis for this film, and it's quite detailed, if you know what I mean. So it's at mm. once quite a simple film, but actually quite quite a lot happens quite a lot goes on in only like a hundred minute running time but um i enjoyed it a lot more than the first time i watched it you can see it's cheap i think whatever version i'm watching these days is uh far better restored than whatever i was watching 19 years ago and that does have an effect as much as you're willing to give films a pass 
you know, the first time I saw Once Upon a Time in the West, it had been beautifully restored. And, and that does have an effect. I, I saw a very beat-up copy of this film. And I'd already seen Once Upon a Time in the West. What, what had prompted me was they released that on DVD. Um, if you look at our little sort of insert picture on Facebook and stuff that you expect us to talk, we use. At the time of recording this, it's effectively the front cover of that DVD. And um, I, I, it had quite funny enough. I think it had a quote from Alex Cox on the cover, talking about movie drone. He said something of you know it's something to do with death and stuff like that. And um, I'd already seen that, so when I went and watched these three, they just looked very beaten up. And I think by the time I got to the good, the bad, and the ugly, it was I found it a little too long on first watch. And I've watched them all again since, and I've enjoyed them all. But I think coming to it tonight, what I'm watching is better restored. Um, it, it's just more entertaining. I'm just more interested by it and more thought has been put into the plot than some of the sort of imitators I've seen. Because I've covered quite a few westerns of various types in recent months. And it might be Kirk Douglas rides into town and sorts everything out. And they all play much, much more simple than this. What about you guys? Um yeah, so doing all the westerns. Um, obviously, having done you know my American studies degree and having studied you know aspects of, of American history, uh, sort of early sort of frontier and, and you know the um, speechy and, and sort of how you know how the country was discovered and also any interactions between you know First Nations and actually going to America and studying some of the First Nations themselves. Um, Western genre, I've well, I've seen, you know, I've seen like the John Wayne films. Um, I've seen some some spaghetti westerns, as it were. Um, or, you know, all your sort of classic westerns I've seen. There's something that I associate. Um, I mean, they're, they're no longer around, but like both my my, um, my grandparents, particularly my granddad's, so I couldn't both my mum's side and my dad's side. Um, I think it was something obviously they grew up with. The kind of like, similar sort of, you know, where they got the idea for like for Star Wars and Indiana Jones. It's all very much those kind of um, Saturday morning. Um, Lone Ranger kind of style adventures of the 30s and 40s um, sort of thing they grew up with so obviously that, that sort of carried on so we've seen those but in terms of this this sort of trilogy as it's come to be known it's something that has kind of it's been on my radar for years and years and years and then obviously when we come to do this podcast um, and we sort of discussed doing doing all the westerns I thought right um, I'm going to save it and five years five or six years later finally get to watch it so it's one of those things where you know American study student I've seen these classic westerns but I sort of deliberately missed out to start these series um, just because you know we came to do them especially on the podcast so I've been saving them up saving them up saving them up um, and that's kind of like my history of it really um, it's, it's one of those things when you studied history and, and film you know um, and, and read film at uni at college and uni as well um, so you kind of know all the tropes um, and you also kind of spot out all the in- inaccuracies as well uh, it's quite interesting reading Eastwood's a- approach to it as well obviously being sort of the one of the few sort of Americans on um, on on the working on the film um, with a really international cast, Spain, Italy, all over. Um, he was saying, well, hold on, this this wasn't historic accurate. This is, you know, they didn't wear this sort of costume. That you know, they did this or they didn't do that, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, you sort of watch some of the films made at the time, and you sort of think, you know, that's not really accurate, or you know, it's, it's deliberately inaccurate, for example. Um, and some of the portrayals as well are, are very obviously this was 1964 didn't get released until kind of a US and, and UK in like 67 
67 even a little bit later um so it's quite interesting to see some of those portrayals that are kind of right on the nose but you know it was quite common for the time um yeah that's kind of like my my history with with this particular series anyway um i've seen many classic westerns but this the particular these like the mamma no name um spaghetti westerns as, as they've come to be known i've sort of been saving them up um so i'm you know really pleased to be reviewing them tonight Uh, yeah, so um, my I've found I think all these um, the, the yeah. four uh, westerns mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be talking about, apart from Fistful of Diamonds, which I haven't seen. I think I've only seen them once each. Uh, <laughs> funnily enough, um, though Once Upon a West had a much more of a lasting impression, uh, which I it, it's a bit more of an instant like yes, that that that's. Clear, clear ahead of the the best best one out 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 of them, um, but yeah, I, I remember watching the I think I think Channel Four back in ninety nine it must be ninety nine um, sort of showed these like you know uh, week by week maybe on a, on a sun on a Sunday night or or something like that. So I remember videotaping and 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 watching this um, uh, one day. And that 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 was so that's my first and only recollection of, uh, of of watching this uh that and um then realizing holy crap this is this is kind of like the same as uh, that bruce Willis movie uh, uh last man standing which is which is actually a, a remake of well well a remake of this or yojimbo or whatever the um you you, you want to i i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't know whether what's it's more remake of because i haven't seen yojimbo for a true comparison uh, but yeah, it's 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 basically the same, exactly the same story. Um, but yeah, no. Um, but that's pretty much my only thing when it comes to my first experience watching this. Maybe we could do that. Maybe we could add that on down our list, just for comparison. <laughs> Maybe. 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 Yeah. I remember. I think I think I saw them with my dad eventually. Um, Sometime in the eighties, I remember he was a real big of, 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 he was a real big fan of westerns, and um, the, uh, the the at that time they were kind of repeating and showing westerns all the time. Um, so we saw like a lot of the classics, and then saw these, and then yeah, I saw Back to the Future too. It was interesting to see the uh, film, uh, those scenes actually in context. And then I saw them as an adult, I think probably the same DVDs that Dave was talking about um, in, I think it was 2000. Um, Actually, that uh, sounds right, because I'm saying 2003, but I bought them in a sale, so they they clearly weren't new new release. That yeah. would be right. They probably came out in 2000, because cause, because it was DVD and DVD was the sparkling new format. Exactly. They they could get away with putting out shitty versions of it. I mean, you you've only got to see the first version they ever released of Rocky, and it was awful. Um, so yes, it probably was the same set, Charlie. Yeah, but one interesting thing was the the uh, the good, bad, and the ugly was the um, the first time. I saw the uh, extended version, which is kind of now seen as like the uh, 
the definitive version, as it were. Um, and yeah, they, they weren't great um, transfers by any means, but uh, it was just, just seeing these films um, and certainly how violent they were um, at, a, at a time when kind of just really into, into kind of violent films, really. And um, especially into, into kind of adult genre films. Um, and uh, kind of just uh, watching it back now, it's kind of, it's, it's just like the whole thing is just, um, I hate this word now, but iconic. And um, even not seeing it for so long, it all just kind of comes back to you. Well, and, I, knew, uh, I knew much more of this film than I ever thought I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Sergio Leone. It, all of his films are impeccably cast, um, not just for the uh, the actors acting, but the way they look. And especially Eastwood at this time, I think he was about 37. Um, and, uh, but he looks older than that. Um, and his face looks dried up in the sun. And everyone seems to have really kind of interesting faces. And when Leonie does the big close-ups as well, um, it just kind of, Gives it a really interesting kind of language vocabulary to the film. Well, he um, shoots close-ups. I'm not an yeah. expert on lenses, but he shoots the actors' faces. Yes, I always said no the, one shoots eyes. faces like Leone, but that sounds really dirty, doesn't it? But um, he, I, I've never. He uses a widescreen camera on a close-up. Mm. He uses he uses a wide he uses the wider lenses designed for landscapes, which tells me he sees actors' faces as landscapes of their own. Yeah. Um, and, and just yeah, so just the, making that iconography, um, and of course you've got Marconi's score as well, um, and it's also a lot funnier than I remember it. It definitely is. The thing I would just want to say about score, without going into it too heavily, is this is the one. This and next week's is the one I always have to hear before I remember which one's in which film. Yeah. Because as we speak now, I can't remember what for a few dollars more sounds like, but obviously mm. I'll, I'll look in the week. They're, they're all of the same lineage. Yeah, but the good, the bad, and the ugly kind of has always kind of stood out, I guess. Especially it's got um, pol- yeah. culturally, it's like it's just that tune has is kind of is always seen as the tune of the trilogy, not just that film. So when anyone does a parody or whatever of the trilogy, they, or Sergio in the early films, they use that tune. Yeah, for instance. if you see... um. If you see any kind of pastiche of the man with no name, the poncho and the narrowed eyes and the little cheroot between the lips, you'll get that. Yeah, and there was an episode of The Simpsons where Homer... Um, was eating the chili at the, at the local uh, the, the chili fest, and he had his own spoon, and and it, they did it a very kind of man with no name entrance, and they played that the the good, the bad, and the ugly scene. 
Um, one thing as well, I, I didn't remember as much um, was the uh, the relationship between Joe, as his name is, um, and Salvatino, which was almost like a buddy cop thing at times. I'd more or less forgotten that because when you think of this film, you just think of Eastwood. Yeah, and it just just kind of shows how 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 kind of well developed this film is. Um, also. Last Man Standing actually credited um, Akira Kurosawa and uh, the uh, other writers, uh, Rose Kikushima and Hideo Oguni, um of Yojimbo on, the, on the, the film. I must admit I've not seen Last Man Standing. I, I saw a trailer for it when I saw 12 Monkeys because he, he, like, he had like a mini renaissance around then and mm. it was a, oh I'll probably get round to that and, and I never did I've still not seen it well it's, it's a Walter Hill film and it, it kind of if you've seen his films stuff like 48 Hours and the Warriors and things like that um, and The Getaway uh, sorry no that was the packing part but he wrote it um, but he did The Driver and things like that um the driver, then the driver, the driver. Oh no, I'm getting mixed up with what's that film Tarantino mentions in Death Proof? I was getting mixed up with that film. Point, oh, okay. po- uh, point. Vanishing no, point. Vanishing point. Sorry, got the two mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, and he makes again. He makes films that are kind of almost with archetypes. It, it is true of the examples you've just given. Yeah. What yeah. was the Sean Connery film he did? Um, <laughs> or am I getting up mixed up with Lumet's The Hill? <laughs> Very possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, he did, yeah, he did the Forty-Eight Hours, and um, he did Streets of Fire. Um, he did Red Heat. And he did uh, Extreme Prejudice, which had a uh, Nick Nolte. Yeah, yeah, I've seen um, that. But, uh, yeah, and uh, he also he also did um, well, he did a western called The Long Riders. Yeah. Um, which had a bunch of famous acting brothers playing famous western outlaw brothers. Mm. I haven't. Um, just mentioning The Wild Bunch, that's a film I'm staggered hasn't had a remake, because The Magnificent Seven has. I've, 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 it, yeah, did, but I can did Hard Times with Charles Bronson as well. I don't know if you yeah, that's, that. cool. that's called The Street Fighter over here. Yeah, yeah, Charles Bronson and James Coburn, who's in uh, A Fist for a Dynamite. Um, I mean, yeah. I think Some Comfort as well, which is... Yeah. I think The Wild Bunch is, is maybe a bit less palatable. The Magnificent Seven... Um, it was very kind of it was sort of a very traditional West whereas it's the Wild Bunch is very much about the end of the West era and about thinking about violence second part would be a super kind of introspective period uh, and oh no I was going to say you did the remake of the getaway but you didn't do that you, you wrote that I think <laughs> Yeah, because he wrote the original guess what? Yeah. Presumably, this is the script. Yeah. Um, that's uh, Alec Baldwin and Kim Bassinger. Yeah. 
in, in the five minutes they were married. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I've seen the original. The original's great. The original's yeah. superb. I'm seeing okay, the original. Yeah. I'm part of Peckinpah anyway. Okay, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Pretty good idea. Okay, so um, first thing that I would say, and again, it's just a budget thing. It's not. It's not intended as a criticism, but the sort of little town he goes to is very sparse, isn't it? Mm. Um, it it's hard to think like you got like two rival gangs seeing that like that consists of the entire town. You, you, mm. <laughs> it's literally like. Well, yeah, how, they, how, they just how, fight. They how, just how, fighting how, over a barber's shop, and that's like, it. <laughs> how how have they not either a just gone like well. All right. Well, how come you, you just do the gun stuff? We'll do like the the um, uh, what what is it? Is it the it's not it's not liquor, is it? It's um yeah, it is. Liquor. Is it, yeah, and then um um we'll yeah, just one's, like one's running know, guns, the other one's running liquor. Um um we'll we'll just be content with that, or we'll just like we'll just split the difference between us kind of thing, you know, or just or just kill each or just. Kill each other off. See, it's, it's like because they are like just just across the road from each. Other, that would like, be a great film, though, wouldn't it? He comes into town and sees two rival gangs uh, cooperating rather nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stays for a beer and heads off on his way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is a town on the Mexican border, and it looks it as well. Um, yeah. And he sort of. What is what, what comes first? He meets this. What's what's the gentleman called? Um, Salvatore Salvanito Silvanito. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's almost like kind of like a minstrel type character he wanders into because there's uh, he, 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 obviously he see I think he sees like so like he sees the kid doesn't he? And there's like a bit of like. The, what, what's what's going on there? You know, with the kid trying to get to his mother, and, and then the kid's getting like shot at. Yeah. Um, and he's just observing that. There's so there's there's kind of like something's not right here. There's there's um, injustice, or there's like um, there's, there's, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, mm. Here. And, and that's kind of the first clue about his character as well is that we see a kid being shot at and he does nothing. Yeah. He just watches. Uh, and then that, but that, and then that sets up immediately as well. Who's the woman in the window? Who is the kid? Why is he being shot at? Mm. Which immediately in the first couple of seconds just sets up all that. But then also sets up him up as someone who doesn't look like he wants to get involved. Despite the fact that we're seeing something poached well, and violence against children. Yeah. And it, it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of like with the thing about him being a more architect, he's a bit more of like um he's not like a, a character as in a man, he's more of a like um he, he he's almost like another being who's there to sort of like judge. So at the moment he's just observing what's going on. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, and of course the, the the this guy, Silvanito, is there to tell us as well what's going on so we, we're introduced to basically let's say it's two two families it isn't really two rival gangs i mean what one of them's a gang and then the other side's a sort of the town sheriff john baxter um and he's married to a woman called consuelo and they've got a son called antonio who's what teenage maybe early 20s mm. um and he could just see and of course as soon as he sort of goes into town he's insulted by some people 
and that's yeah. the, the sort of famous bit about the you you, you need to apologise to my horse, <laughs> mm. uh, which is just brilliant. And uh, and the funny thing mm. is, I knew every word of that without knowing I knew every word of it. It's iconic, isn't it? Really? Anyone yeah, watching along iconic. with us, anyone watching along with us, it, it, would it be fair to say? And you can always let us know when you heard that piece of dialogue. It was familiar to you, I would think. It it was because I think it sticks with you after the first. I mean, I don't know whether it's because you like you, you you hear it right repeated or you hear it kind of yeah. like parry, parodied or reference or a reference here and there. Yeah. But it 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 takes one bump you for you to stick with because it's 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 a, it's a it's a good interesting way of doing it. Mm. It's like it because Eastwood sells it with his like dangerous glare as if he's like no I'm pissed but he, what, he, what he's saying is almost like comical it's like I it, was like, thinking because if you look at Once Upon a Time in the West and there'll be a, a point about the good the bad and the ugly when we get to that film but mm. the, the equivalent character in that film is Harmonica the, the Charles Bronson character yeah. and Charles Bronson is actually more unsettling in the role and, and he's even quieter in his way but what he doesn't have is the playful element at all. There's nothing playful about that character. He's got he's got what we later find out to be childhood trauma, and he's a lot more driven. Eastwood has turned up here and is almost a bit amused by all this. Mm. Yeah. So he, he finds out about the family that then then makes the decision to what he's going to do. He sort of asks, "Who who do you say is the stronger?" Yeah. Uh, and they point to uh, Rojo, don't they? The Rojos. Yes. yes. Uh, uh, so, so he decided to make his name for him by, well, just like, well, just go over to the people who insulted him. He's like, okay, well, fine. Um, and the, the thing that always makes me laugh because he says to um, the, uh, the the guy who makes the the, the coffins, the um, it's like, like get free coffins ready. Yeah, and and he goes on, and obviously he ends up shooting four, and he goes, he walks past. It, it's almost like it feels like it's ad play. He goes like, sorry, four. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and, and that, that always gets me. That always gets a laugh out of me. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's immediately made his name and wound them both up. Um, he does meet the Baxters, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and he almost insults the sheriff straight away until he realizes he is the sheriff. This is this is the we go straight to the chest of gold, don't we? Moves quite yeah. quickly this film. So there's some Mexican soldiers and they're escorting like a big thing of gold. Mm. Uh, mm. Which is yeah, it's like the big stagecoach, isn't it? Basically, and there's like um, you, you can't see inside. He sort of goes to have a look inside, and there's a, a guy that comes out and pokes a gun in his face. Basically, it's like a yeah. But they're immediate, move along, move along. They're immediately dispatched by. Um, Roger's gang. Uh, so they've basically taken the gold. But what he does next is just where this film is just a lot more thoughtful in his plotting, taking a couple of the bodies. Yes, that's really that's a really smart move actually, isn't it? You can kind of see he's, he's, he's several steps ahead of both of the gangs. And sells information to the two groups. So for money to say there's two soldiers who saw what you did and they survived and they're at the you know they're here. And so. Yeah, the factions basically race there. They're, the Baxters want the survivors so they can testify against what's happened, and obviously the gang wants to kill them. 
and he basically yeah. stages uh, Ramon killing them again. <laughs> and they capture uh, one of his, his brother captures the um, the son of the sheriff. Mm. And this is when we meet the the sort of family caught in the crossfire of it. Marisol. Yeah, Marisol. And, and uh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the little boy. He was also dubbed. So they they've basically the gang have uh, framed her husband as a cheat during a card game and taken her prisoner, forcing them to live with them. And uh, yeah, so Joe sort of heads out to try and free her, but then sort of wrecks the house to make it look like the Baxters have done it. And then basically gives her money to leave the town. Yeah. Which, which part of me thinks she, they really need a horse because um, I, I don't think they'd, they'd get away. No. Because they're like, yeah, I, I, there's something about like the, like the just wandering off the desert. Like they're gonna get caught, aren't they? Sure, sure. Mm. You would think so. But but for the for the sense of the, of the film, like they don't think they, they they get away. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I thought of Quantum Solis just throw them a can of oil. You'll be drinking that within twenty. <laughs> you'll be drinking that within twenty miles. Yeah, back to all fine. You don't worry. Um. And we don't get that. This is again the difference uh, when you get to Once Upon a Time in the West. You keep getting little snippets from what appear to be Harmonica's memory of a very young Henry Fonda. It takes you a while to see it's him, but it's not that late into the film you find that out. But we don't know the full story. Whereas here, when he's sort of asked, why are you helping me? It's like, well, I knew someone like you. There wasn't anyone there, you know, to help. Yeah, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't really give much, there's not much backstory, much knowledge towards, it's not towards the end of the film. You yeah. kind of realise, oh, okie dokie. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things, like, he is, yeah, I do kind of agree with what you said at the, at the top of the show. He's kind of like, he is a little bit of a ghost, but and he's also more of, I don't, I don't know. He's, is he God? Does he, you know, does God come along and try to sort out? I don't know. There's all kinds of subtext that you can read into. I'm sure there's, yeah, a, there's it, a reading somewhere. It, but he's, he's sort of quite this, this more of a character and uh, less of a character and more of like a force that kind of moves through the film. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, I, 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 get, I mean, he is played more as a man, but yeah, it, 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 I think it's just like as a the aesthetic, you know. It's yeah. As you say, because you know, we you know, did this. What he does with the family is more. It, it, it is more an act of conscience. He's like, no, nah, I'm doing this. It's the right thing. I've, I've made money. I'm going to do. It. Yeah. But this, this is where the film is at once sort of complex and really simple. Complex in that the the degree of thought that's gone into his plotting is actually quite involved. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll take yeah, them. Complex, but but, quite simple, but we're we're, we're deep into the second half of the film already. Yeah. It, it, it actually flies through quite quickly. So once they realise what he's done, it, it's one of those things where like we could, you know, it's complex in like it, you know, it has lots of immaculate detail. But yeah. if we were to talk about so sequentially talking about all the immaculate details, it would bullshit shit out of everyone. So yeah, it would take like three hours. I mean, to, to be fair, this film is like, it's like what an hour and a half, hour and forty, so and it does rattle along mm. really, really quickly. The version I, I mean, watched fair... was a hundred minutes, like literally exactly. Yeah, spot on. Definitely, yeah. I think yeah, because there are lots of different cuts and edits that, um, and especially of different versions if you're watching them on DVD, Blu-ray, um, Laserdisc. <laughs> but um, yeah, compared to like 
I think by by this point, certainly, you know, as, as Charlie sort of mentioned, this kind of the Western, the idea of the Western was kind of like already in decline by this point, and this film came along and kind of really gave the genre like a shot in the arm, as it were. Um, but if you look at some of, I mean, not they are classics, but sort of like the John John Ford sort of westerns are um, so long, so long films. Um, I mean, today it's the norm as films are pretty much two and a half hours, three hours plus now. Um, whether we agree or not is another story. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's runtime really, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's why that's part of possible why this film is such a classic because it does, you know, it's roughly an hour and a half, a little bit, a little bit for a few minutes more. Um, it does rattle along and you kind of have, you know, it's very quick and cutting editing is quite pacey as well. So you really have to kind of, you know, pay attention. They get longer though. This is why I've always thought oh, no, that this yeah, is as, the sort as, of as simple series goes on. Yeah. 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 Next week's yeah, yeah, half an hour longer. Really, kind of really <clears> comes, like, long, you know, sort of long shots as well. Um, and as you mentioned, there's kind of really um, wide um, landscape kind of shots in there. You have like really tight close-ups on people's faces of their eyes as well. Um, as you say, their faces alone, you know, they are a landscape and they can tell a story um, as, as much as the landscape of... Um, Sort of Spain and Italy, um, where this film was shot, obviously standing in for Arizona or wherever, or Mexico US border. Um, yeah, so the whole idea that somebody's expression and their face can also tell that story as much as any sort of physical physical landscape. Well, that sounds really stupid, but you know what I mean. <laughs> there will be, um, I mean, the, the films really get more kind of expanded as, as they go on. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, because, yeah, yeah, this one with the, with the tiny town um, and just a little kind of stagey, almost, um, interpretation of Kajimba. And then for a few dollars more, it is a bit more complicated. Um, and then when you get to the good, the bad and the ugly, it's like an epic yeah, they they grow really quickly. I think I think the first time I saw them, I just found for a few dollars more in sort of the sweet spot of what I wanted. But I, I don't necessarily agree, agree with that on rewatches. We'll, we'll we'll find out, I suppose. But yeah, this this is very very simple by comparison. Um, but it's not simple like some of these I've been watching in recent months for review, where they come into town, pull oh, some yeah, caper, no. and it's over. There's actually some thought gone into the plotting here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at this point, uh, uh, now, he staged it to look like Baxter launched the attack, but also he's killed some of their crew and all the rest of it, so he's still of interest to them. Mm. So they capture him and beat him up. And funnily enough, there's not a lot of blood in this film. When you see people shot, they you know there's no squibs or anything. Uh, they probably wouldn't have had the money for anything like that, but his beating is actually quite brutal. Yeah. It is, yeah, literally. I was, I was there's something that quite shocked me actually um i mean a lot of this sort of this is really stupid but it's kind of like a lot of films of this era where you see blood it's like it looks a little bit like red paint but that was just kind of like makeup you know at the time but i think this one when you know you see him kind of emerge after being beaten up for days on end like one you know one eye is basically um sealed shut um he's bruised he's got you know a massive bruise and, and burn marks on his hands um you know it's going to take him longer than a week to to recover from his injuries so. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I mean, every time I think of blood effects in this sort of era, I think of the uh, Jamaica in Doctor No when she's oh, shot yeah. through the window, and the blood on the carpet <laughs> literally just, 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 just and, looks yeah. like paint. Yeah, but um, red uh, red ketchup, tomato ketchup. And actually, the way they kill the Baxters is kind of brutal. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's that through line, isn't there? Kind of how, yeah, I sort of agree, you know, what Charlie said. It is, um, I mean, it it has like, what rated, like 18 rated. Um, I'm not sure what what their certificate it was slapped with at the time. Um, Maybe X, I don't know. Um, But yeah, just the the kind of violence of it. I mean, there's that through line. Um, Obviously, it it casts a huge shadow over any sort of Western or um, even obviously things like Mandalorian. Um, TV shows and everything made today, which obviously itself, Star Wars has that huge kind of Western in space aspect to it. Um, but yeah, just is the violence of it is is also pretty shocking for the time. Well, I, I was watching it and, the, and people were getting shot and like just falling over and no blood or anything like that. And I thought, I thought they they'd pulled the punch so to speak. But then when you see how beaten he is and how brutally the Baxters are treated... Yeah, there's, treated, there's your violence. It's, it's money. It's money. That's the only reason we don't have squibs and blood effects and stuff yeah, like exactly. that. But a lot um, of it, and also, is, is quite psychological as well. Um, that's That comes a lot of it, you know, how like Marisol is treated um, and how Consuelo is treated. Um, and a lot of that is is psychological aspect as well. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you throw forward to something like Unforgiven... I think, mm. although Clint Eastwood had no role in writing this, and his own record with women is somewhat questionable, um, he does seem to have an interest in portraying the difficulties of life for women, because it's it's very much a theme in Unforgiven, the sort of prostitutes in the town, the sex workers, yeah. and how they 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 are treated, and he and he tries to like right rightly sort of humanise them and actually make like full characters out of them. Um, that's a great film as well. Um, with it's a hell like, of a it's cast. It's like his final swan song, is it, to uh, the genre, so really, isn't well, it? Yeah, yeah because again, it, it's also it's it's the death of the old West, but it's also the, the death of the old the old version of him. It's mm-hmm. his last reprise of a very violent man he left behind to uh, for love. Mm. What was he called in that film? William Money or something like that. Yeah, William Money. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll throw Unforgiven on this if you guys want. We'll see. Um, getting bigger and bigger we can do as many of these as you want um we did promise all the westerns yeah why not so um yeah so the family are basically burnt out of their house and then sort of killed while pleading on the sort of front porch especially seeing the matriarch shot like that yeah that's quite shocking as well isn't it and Mm. and, you know and her reaction as well it seems quite quite visceral yeah, and I, de- I wasn't prepared. And, and and often the the decent men in this are like married, and and I think with the sort of untamed old west, it, it takes a woman to come along and sort of civilize them, which is exactly mm. what happens to the William Money character in before yeah. before the events of Unforgiven, mm. because he was a heartless, ruthless killer, and then he fell in love and he built a life and a family. Yeah, it sort of became tame. Uh, yeah, and the west itself was dying anyway. Um, so the, now the the, the Rojos are the only gang left. Now the Baxters are dead. Yeah. And um, the the torturing um, uh, what's he called? Is it uh, Salvatino. Salvatino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so some of us are going to struggle with these names. Tied up. Yeah. He's basically like not hung, but he's like. Well, I don't know if he's hung. We don't see him without his trousers on. But um, no, but yeah. I mean, he, he's he's hanging by his hands, not his neck. When I say like hung up, uh, yeah, um, and then just ruthlessly beaten. So he's he's just hanging there in insane mm. heat, badly the, beaten. Yeah, the is it, it's the Undertaker, isn't he? Who, who he stows away with? Yes. Yeah. 
and he sort of sees what, what, what well, goes he's ba- on. He's basically been sort of healing in like a little cave somewhere. Mm. And actually, it does foreshadow the bulletproof vest, but we, I don't think we know what he's doing. In fact, if I didn't know about the, about the bulletproof vest, I think he would be checking his gun is still working correctly. Mm. Um, well, he's probably doing a bit of both. Probably I mean, a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing is also is like we see like the art like we see like the armor uh, or there's like the, 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 the an old like sort of knight's armor with like bullet holes and and before that we have. Um, uh, Rojo, uh, not sort of shooting at the the armor with uh, Eastwood. Uh, I know that's that's with the whole thing about like you know how, how he thinks like the the rifle's better, is a, is a better thing. Yeah. So yeah. It, I, I, I don't know. Somehow I don't. I think that seems to be like a theme that comes back, like well, using the like the whole thing with 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 technology, because um, he talks about the rifle, but there's also the uh, the kind of machine gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he uses to kill all the uh, the Mexican army guys. Yeah. I'm um, just looking at what how they were referred to. Yeah, um, I'm not too sure. It's a Gatling gun, basically. Yeah. I was Gatling. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a very much a theme. If you ever play like the Red Dead Redemption games, they turn up in a couple of missions in those. Mm. Yeah. Um. They're quite satisfying to play in the video games. Yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the wild bunch as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's almost kind of the, um, the the guns and weapons and everything are almost as, as iconic. As themselves. Did, did, did it turn up in Django as well? Yeah, it's a character yeah, it's... around his coffin. Yeah, I, I've not actually seen the original Django. I say <gasps> the original. There is only one Django, isn't there? It's just people think you mean Django and Chain these days. Yeah, um, well, there's, I... there's, there's loads of them. Yeah. It's almost Django almost became its own kind of like mini kind of almost like Bond almost, but, yeah. but being made by different people. Well, I did make the point with Sabata that had they had they kept continuity and the Western genre wasn't die, dying away, that mm. could easily have been such a character because he had a very distinctive gun, he had a very distinctive manner and way of dressing, and when he was introduced at the start of the first film. It yeah. wasn't unlike the way we were introduced to like Bond. Mm. It, it was like lots of shortcuts of his hand and the back of his head and things like that. And it was a slow reveal to a character that was meant to be distinctive and was definitely being designed for a series of adventures because there's endless towns he could go to. And he was designed to be somewhat iconic in look. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got a very distinct silhouette to him. Yeah, I mean, well, Van Cleef again. Appears as two completely different characters in this series. Yes, yes, we'll see him next yep. week. Um, so now it's just for the final duel. He heads back into town. They always thought he was dead, but he, obviously he's not. And he's, got, he's got the armor. Well, we don't know this because he's got the poncho back on. No, that's it. So he's that's getting it. shot and then sort of getting back up and saying, "No, you've got to get me in the heart." He's actually Captain yeah. Scarlet. <laughs> so, which is a nice double bluff, you know. Just get me in the heart. Don't shoot it at my head, please. Yeah, right. he mentioned it quite a few times. Is it? Don't get the heart, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's like the it, it, it's his comfort. He, he's he's go to. He always goes to the heart. Yeah. So it's, yeah. he would never. I, I think even if he probably went for the head, he'd probably miss because he's cause that's his yeah, go to. He's, he's always, obsessed yeah. with the heart, pretty much. Well, he does miss a couple of times, doesn't he? When he's kind of he's he getting more riled up. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's so desperate, and you can literally see like the sweat with the beads of sweat down his face 
Um, so yeah, uh, Clint I- excites him so much he shoots his entire load. Um, <laughs> Quite literally. No, but he, he does. He runs out of bullets, and basically Clint's got one. Uh, uh, shoots his sort of compadres. You can kind of see this, this scene as well. This is some really, really stupid. But please have a laugh at my expense. Um, Dirty Harry. Literally here. Did I hear six shots or only five? You know, it's a little bit like that. Obviously. Oh yeah, I suppose it is. With, with, with two, yeah. two difference in yeah. guns. I know yeah, that's absolutely. really, really a really long stretch, just because it happens to be the same actor. Yeah, absolutely. And and I did I did think of the good, the bad, and the ugly because he uses his last bullet to shoot down Silvanito. Yes. And and if you see where the good, the bad, and the ugly starts and the little sort of tricks they're pulling, him and um, Eli Wallach. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, he's he's got this like gift for just shooting a rope. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's a real sharp shooter, isn't he? I mean, the sort of, sort of characters that he plays are quite handy with, you know. Handy without spoiling <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly, because it is the setup at the start of the film. They've got this kind of thing where they take it. They Eli Wallach's characters wanted various places. So Clint Eastwood takes him in, collects the bounty on him, and then stays at distance and shoots him down as he's about to be executed each time. Mm. Then they get him out, and then they go to the next town and do it again. And that's that's the sort of basic setup for that film. Um, and that's it. It basically reveals the bulletproof vest, and then shoots Ramon. And that's that's the film basically. He's, yeah. So he's, he, 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 yeah, you have a bit of a like they they have a bit of like they give him like one bonnet to reload. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. So sort of like. Yeah, he literally drops his gun, so they've both got to reach down to pick it up. Yeah, and reload it, and then mm. but he, obviously he gets there first. Yeah. And um, yeah, and uh, 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 Salvino um, shoots the, the the other guy who's hiding. Yeah. Uh, Esteban, yeah. Esteban, yeah. Yeah. Who? Is not as big a part of this film as his brother. I do, I do have a tendency to forget him a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, mean, kind of, he's a little bit overshadowed, he, isn't he? He he's he's memorable for that laugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's shooting the woman. Oh, yeah, he, he, he has that. He's that. Sort that's of like, like his. That's like his trademark, pretty much. He has that villainous laugh. He's like sort of like laughing when horrible things are happening, and it's just you feel like oh. You bastard! You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just that classic sort of thing where you just like oh, I can't. He's language. To get, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then he rides off to the sort of sequel. Rides off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you think of films like this, I mean, it, it's very much like what they're trying to do with the Jack Reacher series. You know, one adventure with one cast in one place, onto the next town, mm. new cast, new issues. Mm. Well, the same, same body. Well, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> Well, actor-wise. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, th- that would happen in Sabata as well. You'd get people coming back to play different characters. So it was like it was like a repertory company almost. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah, I, I, in a different he, world, there could have been a lot of these. I, I I thought he was a really good actor. Actually, I mean, it it was really well done. That there was all this talk of Ramon. Um, and when you finally meet him, he is this kind of charismatic and is with a lot of presence uh, that, that he needs for that role. You can't take your eyes off him in that last scene when he's yeah. firing his gun. Um, I've always thought there's something very slightly Omar Sharif about him. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what I don't know much about him. I don't know what he went on to do. I'm just going to look him up actually. Yeah. Well, he did a lot of um, Polizia. But Alicia Teshi 
um, films in uh, crime drama, Italian crime drama films in the 70s. Um, I've done a few of those recently. Yeah. I can't remember what the hell the names of them were now, though. I did. Well, I, I, I did. A can't be that good. No, I did a couple of them very recently. Let me just look them up. They, they've on. all got. They've all got very strange names. So sometimes they. Uh... Oh, but the one I watched was really hardcore, uh, like the violence in it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I see if I can find it. Hang on, I'm going to find my. I've got to find my reviews because I did it about three months ago, and I did two films in a set, like a '76 and a '77 Italian film. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was. Hang on, I wonder if back. we should do like Italian film series. It was the yeah. It, it we'll was. We'll get Charlie um, and we'll do the Jalu. It was the big racket. Mm. Fabio Testi. Uh, that was the first one. And then the second one, yeah, the Le- years of lead films. Uh, yeah. And then the second one was the heroin busters, which okay. was nowhere near as good. Uh, the, first, the big racket was good, but it was pretty hardcore. I mean, the, the, uh, the, there is the, there's a very very harsh uh, sexual assault scene in it. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, and and they they've put there's things in that film you wouldn't be able to get into a film now, let alone then. Um, I looked him up. He didn't live to much of an age. He died at 61 in 1994, and yeah, I haven't seen, apart from for a few toddlers more, obviously, I don't think I've seen anything else he was in. Yeah, because he, he was in A, a Bullet for the General. Yeah. Um, by uh, Damien. Uh, again, the pronunciation. My pronunciation is terrible, so you'll have to edit this. Uh, Damiani, who is probably well known to a lot of people for directing the second Amityville film. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one with the incest. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is, is that the one with, uh, the, uh, what's his face, from Rocky? Burt Young, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at this thing. Anyway, uh, that's just a whole bunch of dead air. I was looking if there was something else I'd seen him in because he was very, very well known. Uh, Marion Cock I've seen before in something and I can't think what uh, Marisol's character um, Deflator Mass I may have seen that anyway so yeah obviously with a lot of these characters uh, particularly actresses a lot of actresses in that era sort of gave up to have families didn't they Yeah. so she doesn't work much past the age of about 50 and the vast majority of it is before she's out of her 30s. Um, okay, so yeah, we'll obviously see him again next week. I don't remember the sequel as well because I've seen A Fistful of Dollars more often. Just some final thoughts on the film for me. It's definitely a lot simpler than what's coming. And I would say it's probably... Its simplicity makes it a very easy watch, but it, it, it's probably a little bit less satisfying as a result. But it does have that slightly sort of impish sense of humour to it. It does have, in the in the, the devil's in the detail, the details of the plot are very good, even though the broad strokes are quite quick to get through. Um, it's definitely a star-making turn, and when you think how little dialogue that, that is, 
it shows you how much work his face is doing, really, to give him that sort mm. of cachet. Um, this was made for a couple of million, a couple of hundred thousand dollars US. So uh, by the time we get to Once Upon a Time in the West, which he's not in, of course, that's up to sort of five million. The budget will be tripled next week. So they will get more expansive and they will get a little bit more ambitious in terms of what they're trying to do. But this is a solid film and it's a solid film that's worth watching. And I also think it's it's a good way to sort of be introduced to this type of film because it's yeah. a good example of this type of film. You know, like Charlie said, not not black hats, just morally complex people because that's how life tends to be and, and creating the west as full of good and bad guys is a it's a very lawless place and and that that these films evidence that but it evidences it with shades of gray and as such a, you know not that we recommend not recommend not that that's how we tend to do this thing but i do think it's worth a look if, if you're looking into sort of getting into filmmaking and writing film and you know this is this is I mean, it's kind of film school stuff really but it's one to you know if you're looking into kind of learning about how films are made this is a good one to watch as well in terms of like shot composition and mm. um you know as, as you mentioned well, like use of lenses as well so it's i, quite, I would it's say uh, to, to add to that point i would say from what i what hear <laughs> what from what i hear of common sort of inexperienced script writers mistakes is they tend to fall in love with the dialogue too much and put way too much in um, and this is this is sort of how you can do more with less. Yeah, this is an exercise in less is more, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's just it amazes me because you watch this and you're thinking like this was Eastwood star making turn because I know you. He never made he, a, a big film. Like, you, you think what? You just automatically like assume that that he's already a star at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Because it, it seems things it seems that way. It doesn't seem like oh this is this is like young Eastwood. This is like this is this isn't like oh this this is a bit it's just a bit like you know, um, just 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 to, just getting this shit together. He's, um, yeah, this is a big screen big screen debut. I mean, yeah. I, I've sadly not seen Rawhide, um, but he he wasn't he wasn't the star of that, was he? I don't understand. Um, or he, he was, you know, sort of part, I part of the was on, I think he but, was in other films, but not as not as a star. Not no, as like, he was in. He had bit parts in stuff like Tarantula and, and Revenge of the Creature and stuff like that. Yeah, but he, he um, wasn't. This was like, as, as you say, like the real star making turn. I read earlier that um, apparently Fitzroy Dawes was offered to his, his Royal High co-star first. Ah, oh, and, and he, he said no. I offered it to down. my colleague Clint. Well, it was. Um, it was offered to like loads of people first. Also, he's offered to Bronson. God, that um, would, imagine. Yeah, because I think imagine. actually the thing is Bronson was actually his first choice. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, he, Bronson plays effectively the same role in Three Fills Time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, they they have different strengths. I mean, I think certainly that sort of landscape of the face look really works for Bronson. Um, and but yeah, he's a lot. It's it, it, it's played even straighter than Clint's version, but obviously the film's more ambitious and has a bit yeah. more backstory. Well, so and that's certainly to Bronson's strength as well. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think Bronson's a really underrated actor. Oh, but he's too. also one of these people that he looks like he's been chiselled out of stro- stone. You, yeah, you, yeah, you can, you know, when he stands there in a gunfight with you, even though it's the quality of shooting that's going to decide it. You just naturally would look at him and think, I, 
I don't know that a bullet would even pierce him, would it? He's just much. He's well, much more. He's much more intimidating than Clint. If, if, if you look at it like Bonson in his sixties, he's done films like when he's like topless, and he's like he, 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 he yeah. put mo- he put most like thirty years to shame. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the guy was. Ripped. I mean, he, he, and, like, uh, and sadly, a lot of people will remember him for his Michael Winner stuff, and while some of that wasn't awful. He, he did end up in a lot of sort of director DVD stuff, stuff like Ten to Midnight, yeah. which is kind of exploitative. It's not that good, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you go back and see him in his pomp, yeah. Except are we ever going to do a Charles Bronson series? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's t- it's too it's it, it, it a bit like yeah. not not as extreme as, but mm. a bit like Christopher Lee, too too prolific for there to be mm. enough quality control. Yeah. Um, the, the only one you could do a series is like a Death Wish one. That's the only like yeah. like one you go like, right, that's a series. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you could do a Michael Winner one because he did do some good films with Michael Winner. He did. Um, he did because he did he did one um, called Chateau's Land or a West because he did a couple of westerns with Michael yeah. Michael Winner, um, where he was a uh, yeah half. He was like a mixed race um, Native American. It makes me like I'm looking at uh, Clint Eastwood's Wikipedia page at the moment, right? So I, in the sort of sidebar, you get um, the basics about him. So funny enough, the first thing on there is 30th Mayor of Carmel by the Sea because he was a yeah. mayor for a while, yep. and of course, I've public office public office tends to right go higher. Then it tells you his date of birth and his political parties and his spouses and domestic partners and everything. Then it comes down to children and it just says at least eight. He's been busy. <laughs> what sort of life have you had where you just, you, I don't know. It's at prob- least eight. It's around eight, I don't know. <laughs> it says including Kyle, Alison, Scott and Francesco. He's been busy. Eight, that's what I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Like we're going into kind of Donald Trump, Boris Johnson territory now. Oh dear. Yeah. I'm not comparing the, the two because they are. Well, Boris Johnson it, would have been shit in this film. Let's he, be he's a bit crap, and Eastwood is infinitely better. Um, yeah, so at least eight. We've we've covered Scott in when we did Fast and Furious because he was in the last couple of those. Uh, Scott really does look like him. He lo- he looks like a young Clint he Eastwood. Doesn't he? Oh my gosh. Yeah, he does. Um, Michael Wonder did the uh, Sentinel, which is uh, a horror film set in New York, mm. which is uh, yeah. which is something you don't necessarily think uh, Michael Wonder does hard, but it's actually quite a decent horror. Um, I think as well he got coloured by his later films in that mm. by the end he was sticking out stuff like Dirty Weekend and it was all very, it was like the adult version of canon films or something all very cheap all very knocked out all a little bit exploitative and not very good mm. and i think it obscures the fact that a bit earlier on he was making much much more interesting stuff um chateau's land i'm looking at that mechanic and a, lot, a lot of people hated him as well uh he wasn't always the most likable although towards the end of his life he was on twitter most nights yeah, and I used to quite like him on there. You know what I mean. And then eventually, mm. yeah, about eighteen months yeah, before it's, it's he quite died. Entertaining. Yeah, about eighteen months before he died, he went on holiday somewhere, and he caught some awful like bug virus, something like that, maybe a bite off something. Oh, yeah, he, got, he got the MRSA. It, it basically destroyed his got liver and, and yeah, yeah, he was really poorly. He was on pot. He was on borrowed time after that. 
Uh, I didn't realise he did a remake of the uh, Big Sleep with Robert. Yeah, Hunter. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was apparently he ate steak tartare four days in a row. Right. And that's what kills. Yeah. You think maybe you have it medium rare, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> um, he had between eighteen months and two years to live. Yeah. And he lost an immense amount of weight. And uh, yeah, but anyway, so that's uh, yeah. That, I mean, that was just sort of he, coming he's up. Suggesting he should have calmed down on calm the calm down, dude. Yeah. It was a commercial. And then when he was with Jenny C. Unfortunately, that was really sad. Like his 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 immense film career was boiled down to this really inane. Well, the thing I best remember, the thing I think of first, is he was living with Jenny Seagrove, the actress, and then he got one of these News of the World gotchas on him. Because he was having an affair with the girl who played Callie in Grange Hill a few years before. Oh. A few years before. She was of age. She was like mid-twenties by this point. But yeah, the one who, yeah, it was a bit grim. But there you go. Um, right, so uh, any, has everyone done final thoughts? It's I a have. classic. Listeners, go see it. Check out this film. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah, glad it, I waited this long. It's iconic. It's Definitely. I use that word a lot, but it really is iconic. How, how would you know it's iconic, though, Chris? What? Um, is, is, is this a genuine or is a segue? How, how would you... Is, <laughs> uh, I was thinking, what are you getting at there, Dave? <laughs> well, how, how would you know? Because I know how these things tend to go. You're probably calling it a pound full of fisting or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? You, you, I'm not convinced your knowledge base is going to be that high. Well, I... Well, you know, as you know, you know, we are supplied with facts of some degree. Uh, uh, yes, we did. Um, but where would we find those? Uh, with our uh, trusty host Becca, who always supplies us with. I don't know why I ask that because it's the same person every week, really. <laughs> same bloody person, I've got. Becca, fact us. Factoids. Um, yes. So, I mean, I think a lot of these facts have already been revealed already. Um, so I've just gone for some, like, generalised facts. So, listeners, if you know them already, that's fine. Just scrape the bottom of the barrel. Um, just some uh, generalised facts. Um, lifted from imdb.com, so you can go read them yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, turns spaghetti Western obviously didn't exist prior to these films. It, um, according to an interview... Um, with Clint Eastwood that comes from the Japanese market to separate the Italian-made westerns from the US-made westerns. I think they called them macaroni westerns to begin with. I prefer Tagliatelli myself. Well, yeah, I'm quite partial to Penny, actually. Um, what, from the, the Big the Bang Theory? The kind of holds the sauce, you know. Oh, right. Apparently. <laughs> I thought you meant some woman called Penny. I thought you were making a major lifestyle announcement there. <laughs> no, my boyfriend would be quite surprised. Um, but I could also shoehorn in another Thunderbirds reference there with Penny, but never mind. Um... So yeah, and I thought that was quite interesting. Obviously, it, it, the genre obviously is known for obviously being made in Italy um, and abroad, <laughs> apart from the US. So that's quite interesting. Um, made me laugh. Um, yeah, the film was made sort of in Spain, Italy, various other European locations for no money. I think a budget of, as you mentioned, Dave, like two hundred thousand um, dollars. Leading man Clint Eastwood in his first big screen role, pretty much kind of bought his own wardrobe with him, um, bought from in and around kind of Santa Monica, California. Um, and a lot of his a lot of his kind of outfit came from his work on Rawhide, so like his, his boots, spurs, cop pistol and his belt. 
um, came from this his uniform, his, um, his costume on Rawhide. Um, Poncho was bought um, in Spain whilst on location. Um, apparently he still owns it and he's never washed it, apparently. Or so he says in the interview. So it must stink to high heaven. Um, fun fact number three, due to the international nature of this film, um, Eastwood didn't, release, didn't add his voice to the soundtrack until 1967 and this film was being prepared for US release. Um, I think 64 was a, was, a, was a domestic release and then kind of 66, 67, 68 um, came the I was going to say Western release, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really make sense um, for US and UK release um, in, in other Western um, territories. Many Westerns have been actually made in Italy um, up to this point for the domestic market, but this is the first film to receive US and international critical acclaim. Um, and indeed, as we mentioned right at the start of the film, um, this is why some of the cast and crew have American-sounding names. So like Sergio Leone is Bob Robertson, and Ennio Morricone um, is Dan Sabio, for example. Um, Fun number four, as we mentioned, this film is a remake of Kurosawa's classic film Yojimbo, um, which I can't pronounce, so I'm just going to pronounce it like that. Yojimbo. Yojimbo. Exactly, Yojimbo. But yeah, I, I, as we, you know, I mangle these names, so I can only apologise. Um, and obviously, due to the due to the similarities of the two, um, Kurosawa famously sued the filmmakers um, and won. Um, I think he received 15% of the film's worldwide gross. Um, I went on to say that he made more money from that than he did of his original film. Um, and also, as we just chatted about now, other actors considered for the role include Henry Fonda, James Coburn and Charles Bronson, who turned it down, saying the worst script he'd ever read. Um, Richard Harrison also next to decline. Um, and then obviously, as, as Charlie mentioned, it was passed to um, Warhol co-star Eric Fleming, who said, ah, oh, check out my colleague, Clint Eastwood. And the rest, as I say, is history. I do think it's rather cheeky for him to say... Um, seeing that uh, Yojimbo is actually based off uh, another book called Red Harvest. Yeah, Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. So I yeah, where's like, where he in all this? You know, it's just like, well, you know, you sort of, well, technically it's it's off it's off base of the like of of that really, isn't it? So I don't know. I find I find that's a bit cheeky. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I've, you know, nothing's kind of really original, isn't it? it? All comes from somewhere. So. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's whether it's officially based. Whether they have the right to do it. Yeah, no, well, that's it, I exactly. Mean, it's always like adaptation or kind of a, a spin-off or um, inspired by some of those things, isn't it? So. I mean, I don't know. It's like what it's like what you can prove, or I I don't know. So it's what 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 you make the best case for. It's like, it's hard for me to say because I haven't even seen Eugene so I can't really say for any certainty what 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 the or or Red Red Harvest. So I can't say where the similarities end and start, really. No, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sad to say that's one that I've one of those that I've not read. So I must try and seek it out. But there we are. So that's us done for Fistful of Dollars. Okay. As for social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. You can find me at Cinematronics. Uh, you can also find all the other episodes on uh, Podbean. Just search for uh, Do You Expect to Talk. We'll be on there. You can find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. And as you can find us on Twitter at Do Talk. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Do Expect to Talk. Um, on YouTube, to search for Do Expect to Talk. And we're also on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, wherever you pick up your uh, your podcasts. Um, whichever platform you're on, don't forget to rate us, review us, give us a like and a share. Um, if you're on Facebook, just you know recommend us to all your friends. Why not update your status? I'm listening to Do You Expect to Talk? Why not check it out? Um, 
please kindly leave us a glowing five-star review. It helps us to grow um, and attract more listeners. I like the fact you made it sound very jaunty there. Hey, I'm listening to Express. <laughs> hey. Check it out. I'm kind of borrowing from another podcast that I listen to, so I'm sure they don't listen, so hopefully they don't mind too much. <laughs> uh, on a completely unrelated point, and I'll just mention it while I'm here, I think most people have seen it now, certainly the sort of quality of person who'd be listening to this show, but Christopher Nolan's Memento has, has just dropped on Netflix. Ooh. If you've not seen it, give it a look. Because I think, it's, I th- I think it's, it's still strongly in the argument for his best film. I haven't watched it for a while, but I think also I think I, I always look at Prestige. Maybe might be his, his best film. The well, Prestige is very good. Show. Yeah, the Prestige is uh, very good. That, yeah, that, that that does that seems to get forgotten about. I, I haven't really loved his last ten years of filmmaking, but his first ten years were a bit special. And Memento mm. wasn't technically his first; the following was, but Memento was like his big break. Really. I need to track that down. It's got um, yeah, Mike from, it stars stars Mike from Neighbours and you know the the Trinity woman from the Matrix. From... Yeah, Jack Davenport. <laughs> Jack Davenport. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of a different film. You are thinking. Um, you're not thinking of like. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of a different film. You're I thinking of that, like anyway. um. Cut that part The out. Secret Service, Kingsman, aren't you? He was at the start of yeah, that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> no, it's not that momentum. No, I'm, I'm confusing it with another film, but anyway. What, one's a up. one's a one's a spy romp, and the other one's about other a man ones. with a head injury. Yes. <laughs> They're <laughs> slightly different. No. I think there was a short film that was inspired by that film starring Jack Apple. Anyway, I've got him on the brain. Never mind. Chop it out. Chop it out. You were just minding your own business thinking about Jack Davenport. That's fine. <laughs> just because there's a program that's worse, worse things to be thinking about. Yeah. I wonder if she was thinking about that bit where he was talking about lesbian spank inferno in coupling. No. All right. They're, they're showing um, lesbian coupling, like that classic dodgy 90s series. And, to be in it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, you know, the 90s one from the year 2000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was literally from the early two thousand. So he has, so he's hosting a dinner party in one episode and he has to explain why he's been watching a film called Lesbian Spank Inferno and he can't and just really cringe. He, he can't just admit that it's because there's naked women in it. He, he's trying to like like sell its artistic merits and stuff. Plus it's a series by the same writer behind Doctor Who. Stephen so, Moffat. There there's a connection there somewhere. Stephen there Moffat moment. Uh, wrote the best sitcom no one's ever seen and it's one called Joking Apart with, yeah. with Robert Bathurst and yeah. um, it's about a uh, stand-up comedian whose marriage like falls apart, she cheats on him but it's really really funny but hardly oh, anyone it. watched it when it was released yeah. no, it's a great shame it's really good what's it called? Joking Apart Joking Check about. it out. It'll probably be one of those shows that might end up on like Talking Picks TV or Real Network or something. I rewatched it about 15 years later, and I, I must admit it wasn't quite as brilliant as I remember, but it was really, really funny. And you know how in Coupling he just has he has his characters say things that you you think but you would never say out loud. No. And if you did, you'd be <laughs> like embarrassed. I mean, he's in a restaurant with her when they're dating. And you're seeing it from his perspective. So he's like, he's clearly really attracted to her. So you see him like looking at her lips and a little bit at her cleavage. It's not wildly voyeuristic. He's just like liking her and he's attracted to her. But his mind obviously wanders because she suddenly says, oh, there's the waiter called him. And he just turns and goes, oral (laughs) sex. (laughs) Because that's what he was thinking about when he was. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so back for part two with Mr. Leone next week, which means, Becca, 
Do you expect the talk will return for a few dollars more? <laughs>